Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and this is episode 27. First of all, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to listen to this week's episode. I want to give a special shout out to Beth Patrick, one of my listeners and a yoga teacher in Massachusetts, where I am. I'm in Boston and she's in one of the suburbs. And she was recently out walking her dog and she was listening to episode 26, which was on alignment red flags. And she sent me an email with a couple of thoughts and said, thank you so much for the anatomy conversation. It's just so applicable to teaching. So I would love to hear from you, not only how you listen, because I always find that interesting. Do you do it um, when you're commuting? Do you listen when you're exercising, walking to work, walking your dog? But more importantly, what about the episode struck you and resonated with you? This really, really helps me get that kind of feedback to shape future episodes. So please take a moment to send me an email or comment on whatever platform that you're listening on. So I want to start out by giving you a preview of what I'm working on and tell you how you can be part of it, because that's the most important thing. I am updating my most comprehensive online course on anatomy, and in order to be one of the first to know when it goes live this summer, I'm targeting next month, you must be on my VIP list. This means that when you download any of my free teaching tools, like a guide or a list of tips or anything I have on my website, or I might include in a blog post or a podcast episode like this one, which will have a free download, and I've got to email that to you. I need your email to do it. So you're on my VIP list. And that way, when I launch the new course and the special offer that goes with it, you're going to get an email about it. You won't have to worry about missing the post on social media. This is why being on my list is the best way to stay in touch about things I offer. Now, if you're thinking that you would never buy an online course to learn anatomy because you only learn anatomy effectively in person, think again, my friend, think again. 
This way of learning is so effective and has so many advantages over in-person learning. Does it mean you never do another in-person workshop? Of course not. It simply means that you're a discriminating buyer, yoga teacher, and learner, and you know that in order to build your anatomy knowledge, you are going to need to take advantage of lots of ways to do it. I'm just going to briefly give you a few reasons why online learning is so effective. The first one is you can learn on your own time and your own pace. The second one is you can re-refer back to anything you didn't understand the first time. I mean, how many times are you at a workshop and you leave and then you think, God, what was that thing that person said? So with an online course, you can just look back and refresh your memory. And it's much more cost-effective than traveling to all different kinds of destinations for trainings that you need to do in person. Now with my programs, I add on one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. So you get even more one-on-one -on -one support than you'd get in a training with dozens of people. And if you're like me, when you've gone to recent uh, week-long trainings, there's usually 50 plus people. So with my online course programs, you get one-on-one -on -one attention and that in many cases is more one-on-one -on -one time that you'd ever get in an in-person training. So that's it for now on that subject, but I wanted to just start to prime your thought process so that when I launch my new anatomy learning program this summer, you are on my list. And again, to help in that regard, today's episode has a free download with it. And I'm going to go over all of the content in there, make it come to life and share the link at the end. And I'm not doing that just to get you on my list, which of course, is part of it, but I'm doing it because I really want you to listen to this content and not have to worry about taking notes. You know, when I do trainings in person, I encourage people not to write anything down and I give them the information in a manual or a handout or something like that, because this information is really best experienced just by listening and absorbing it through kind of listening first. But I know as yoga teachers, we need something to reference. We often need something to go back to, to refresh our memory and to really make these concepts stick. So I've done all that work for you. I have a free download that comes with this episode. So you can sit back, absorb the content, enjoy the learning and know and have confidence that at the end, all you need to do is go to the link I'm going to give you and uh, you'll download it and then you can refer to it as backup. So I also want to say, if you're not in my anatomy work group on Facebook, why not? <laughs> there are like over 600 yoga teachers in there now, and I am so excited. I must get anywhere between 10 to 12, sometimes more members added each week. And I always ask when someone new joins, are you a yoga teacher and are you interested in learning anatomy? Because that is the focus of the group. It's not a general yoga teacher group. We don't talk about all sorts of different issues. We really focus on anatomy. And I always am in there posting free video lessons, uh, blog posts, different content, articles. So if you're not in that group, all you need to do is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and right on the homepage is a link to the group. So that'll be another free way for you to get anatomy information. So today I'm going to be giving you a short primer on fascia and fascia is the body's connective tissue matrix. Now to put it in further context, there is an entire module on fascia in my online course, the one that I just was talking about. So this, you know, 
content is that I'm going to give you today is a snippet of what is in the online course. Now, keep in mind that because uh, learning about fascia and the technique of keeping fascia healthy, myofascial release, is best learned with visual because it's an actual technique that you're applying to the body. Video is super key to really rounding out your understanding. So today I'm just giving you a small kind of window into the information, but know that when the online course launches, hopefully in July, I'm really targeting July, uh, there is going to be a whole module on fascia, including obviously video and the techniques that you will see in person, you will learn, and I'm going to show you ways today that you can integrate that into your teaching. So for now, we're going to start with this brief introduction and know that I've got you covered when my flagship course on anatomy launches in July. Now, I want you to remember that all of this is included in a free download, so you do not have to worry about keeping all this straight. Just grab the download by visiting my website link to the episode, and it's right there. So I wanna start out with a quick visual. Think about all the walking and maybe running or other kinds of exercise you do, and of course yoga falls into this category, although it's a little bit different because while yoga is weight-bearing, it's not um, oftentimes as jolting to the body as something like running, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you kind of probably get the vibe there. Um, and if you've never seen an image of the knee joint, you most likely know that the joint is comprised of your femur's connection to the tibia and that between the bones, there are cushions called meniscus or menisci, I guess would be the plural, that keep the bones from sitting directly on one another. Now think about over the years, all the wear and tear on those fibrocartilage cushions. And you might think, how is it, I mean, I think this, how is it that they don't completely disintegrate after only a few years of adult weight bearing? Now, of course, with age, many things in the body wear down. But if you think about how much weight and the added force of gravity, one might think that these soft, cushiony pillows would be gone in a few years. Well, the reality is they don't fall apart and it's in part because of the body's buoyancy. That's the support that's provided by one component of the body's structure called fascia. So here I'm going to review some of the qualities of fascia and give you a bit of background on how you can speak to it in your classes, even if you're not teaching the technique. So I'm gonna be quoting or giving you the references as I go through this information when references are applicable, because I want you to understand that I'm qualifying what I'm expressing to you, which is a mixture of my learning from experts on the subject, my reading, my studying, my background certification in personal training, in yoga, in corrective exercise. And I think it's important when I am providing definitions to give you the references. This is something you would definitely see if you were reading this. Um, and so I think it's important to qualify certain statements uh, to the person that stated them who is much more expert in this area than myself. So this first definition comes from David Lasondek's book, Fascia, What It Is and Why It Matters. So let's just start out with a basic definition. Fascia is the soft tissue component of the connective tissue system that permeates the human body, forming a whole body continuous 
three-dimensional matrix of support. It interpenetrates and surrounds all organs, muscles, bones, and nerve fibers, creating a unique environment for body systems functioning. Now, just to be even more specific, while that's in David Lasondek's book on fascia, which is excellent, and I would definitely recommend you picking it up, this specific definition was provided way back, at this point, it is kind of way back, in 2007 at the first International Fascia Research Congress and was stated by Robert Schleep and Thomas Finley. Now, you need to know that in 2007, the first International Fascia Research Congress was held. And this is a conference where experts in this particular aspect of anatomy get together to talk about the latest research on fascia specifically. And I believe there's been one every year since. Some of you may know Jill Miller, uh, the founder of Yoga Tune-Up. She specializes in fascia and the application of myofascial release to the body. She has attended several of these uh, and has posted about them on uh, her Facebook page, as well as many other experts in the field. So just to give you an idea of how much um, examination fascia is getting uh, of late. And I can certainly say for myself, when I was an undergraduate at Boston University in the physical therapy program, we did not study fascia at all. We simply um, were brought into the lab, the cadaver was already dissected, and uh, the fascia was cut away, and we looked at muscle and bone only. When I most recently, two years ago, went with Tiffany Cruikshank to uh, cadaver lab training in Arizona, uh, we started out with a donor. Um, and that basically means nothing was done. I mean, this was right within several days of the person passing away. They had agreed to donate their body to science. And so we spent probably two or three days dissecting uh, and examining and learning about the condition of the fascia, the qualities of the fascia before we ever got to muscle. So that is an illustration of how the approach to understanding the body has shifted over the years. And it is, it is in large part because of the research that has come forth over the past several years. I mean, on, in one way, 2007 is a long time ago, but in another way, when you compare it to how long we've known about the basic structures of the body in the context of anatomy, it's recent. And so I know for myself, when I was an undergraduate way back in the 80s, we didn't even look at fascia, right? And now, uh, and now we do. So that's just to give you an idea of how much more importance fascia has in our understanding of the body. And that's why it's important that you as a yoga teacher know about it just as much as you know about bones and muscles, or at this point, maybe you're wanting to learn about those components. So fascia, another way to describe it is fascia is your soft skeleton, right? And that, uh, that statement is credited to Vleeming, the researcher Vleeming in 2011. And so when you think about the hard skeleton, right, we're thinking about the bones, the thing that most people know about, but fascia is your soft skeleton. It creates a network or net that is a continuous structure throughout the body. It has a superficial layer 
that lies just under the skin and and adipose tissue. Um, And then a deeper layer called deep fascia, which lies closest to the muscles, as well as runs around and in between each one. And so back to my illustration before about my experience two years ago at cadaver lab training, we started with examination of the donor, uh, just looking, and then we cut through skin, right? And then under skin is adipose. And then under adipose or fat tissue, which we all have, is superficial fascia. And then, as I'm describing here, after superficial fascia is deep fascia and then muscle. So if you kind of think of this layered, you can start to get an understanding of before you even get to muscle, there's all of that other stuff. And if you've ever had surgery, like I had my appendix out emergently, I hope you never have to go through that. That is not fun. Uh, But I did last year, last March. And so, you know, they had to do it. I wasn't fortunate enough to, it was an urgent situation. So they had to do the actual surgical removal. So that means they had to cut through skin, adipose, superficial, deep layer of fascia, muscle to get to the appendix. Now, of course, they don't do it in a haphazard way. They're doing it for any surgery in a pinpointed way, but you're still cutting through all that stuff. So if you've ever had to recover from a C-section or any kind of abdominal surgery or surgery of any kind, you know, and you can relate to the limitations in movement that occur. And many people just think, oh, that's because they cut into muscle to get to what they needed to get to. No, it's more than that. It's also uh, superficial, deep, uh, uh, layer of fascia as well. So fascia is comprised of cells and fibers and ground substance. And one of the cell types that people often hear about are called fibroblasts, which produce the fibers that make up the network that help create the structure of the body. One of the fiber types that people often hear about is collagen. And you may you know, of course, hear about this in the context of nutritional supplements and the like. Collagen fibers provide the structure and they normally form a wavy pattern and can move freely. When they are damaged through injury or surgery, like I was just talking about, even bad posture or other actions, they can lose their pliability and create areas of pain and something that we might even call a trigger point. Now, There is another component of the fascia called ground substance. And this gets a lot of press because one of the components of this ground substance substance is called hyaluron, which is often referred to as hyaluronic acid in commercials for moisturizers. And there's a moisturizer commercial for a L'Oreal product that I see all the time. And the actress, I can't remember her name, um, always says hyaluronic acid, hyaluronic acid. So that's what they were talking about. Now I will tell you um, the term hyaluronic acid, according to David Lasondak in his book, is really not a correct term. It's really hyaluron, but that's kind of another thing that has just kind of taken off. Um, But just so you know, the actual correct term is hyaluron. And hyaluron um, attracts water and it provides a protective cushion and gives the body structure freedom to move. So when you think about hyaluron in this connective tissue called fascia, 
being uh, an attractive, an attraction to water, you can start to appreciate when I gave you that earlier example of buoyancy, how the bones don't crash upon one another. It's because of this buoyancy that is um, provided by the water-based uh, fascia. So in order to move freely, whether in yoga practice or any other activity, any restriction in the muscles or joints can inhibit, can get in the way of moving effectively. And you know that you wake up in the morning, you feel a little stiff. You know, if in order to move freely, we need to have freedom of movement at the joints. When these restrictions are present, the movement can still occur, but might happen in a different way as kind of a compensation. It might happen in a different joint or with muscles that are not best suited to create the movement. And this is what we call um, a muscle imbalance. And this Information comes more from my background in exercise training versus yoga because we don't really talk about muscle imbalances in yoga, which is kind of amazing because we're movement professionals. But, you know, again, this is part of, you know, my personal passion to understand movement from more than just through the lens of yoga, which is why I pursued uh, training in exercise science. Um, and I think it's really important. And I love to share this kind of information with yoga teachers to broaden their understanding of movement from more than just looking at it through the lens of yoga teaching. So when we think about, you know, we're teaching classes and we're cueing people to do certain things and other things are happening, right? A great example of that is we ask them to come in a chair and they stick out their tailbone, right? And we're kind of like, why is that happening? So that's a good example of a muscular imbalance. They hear uh, chair pose, they know chair pose, they do chair pose, but the body can't quite find the alignment in the proper way. So it's going to go for a workaround, right? And so the workaround in, in this example is the tailbone juts out. Why that happens could be due to tightness uh, in a muscle uh, of the lower leg, could be a muscle in the hip, it could be an overactive muscle. There are a lot of different things in exercise science that are charted out that look at here's what you see in the person and here's what it could be. And that data is derived from years and years of studying bodies and movement and uh, things at the muscular level and coming up with patterns of movement that can be classified into different categories called muscle imbalances. So one of the reasons why myofascial release as a technique for fascia is so effective is that it can create better movement in areas where movement is restricted. So let's think back where I gave that example of my appendix surgery or if you've had surgery, <clears throat> when the body sustains an injury or even over time develops imbalances due to even something like unhealthy posture, right? That's sitting at your desk for years and years and years in an unhealthy way or repetitive movement. So think about people who have jobs where they're constantly doing the same thing over and over and over again. The body responds by initiating a repair cycle known as or, or a repair process known as the cumulative injury cycle. And this data I'm giving you comes directly from uh, NASM, the National Association of uh, sports medicine and their essential corrective exercise text, which goes along with the uh, exam that you take. And that's the exam I passed in May. This um, technique, this, this process, the techniques used in myofascial release 
are designed to override to a certain extent this protective injury cycle I'm talking about by using pressure to stimulate receptors in muscles which inhibit overactive muscle tissue. So when these receptors are stimulated through pressure, you know, maybe by a, a MFR ball or a foam roller, they calm the overactive tissues and create some relief in the practitioner, in the person, um, and some better movement, some ease of movement. Now, some of the changes that can occur with this pressure include stimulating receptors in muscles that send information to the central and autonomic nervous system. And as a result, the central nervous system decreases tone, right, tightness, overactivity in the muscle, which in the person can feel like a tightness, tight muscle, or an area of increased tension. There are also changes in the fluid dynamics. Remember when I was talking about hyaluron and, and the fluid quality there? Um, to decrease the viscosity of the ground substance so movement is easier. Okay, so I know that's a lot. <laughs> I want you to think about ketchup, right? Not because I want you to get hungry, but I want you to think about when you pour ketchup, the thickness of it or molasses, right? And so that quality is... Uh, termed viscosity. And so we want some sense of tension in the body so that we have integrity, but we don't want so much viscosity that, um, that the, the liquid qualities are restricting movement. And so this is what we're talking about here. This, this uh, applying pressure to the body through MFR is believed to have an impact on the fluid quality of the fascia so that movement is facilitated, not restricted. Okay. So now that we've walked through a little bit about fascia, let's talk a little bit about the technique of myofascial release. So understanding, and I'm just going to say MFR at this point, MFR is important for teachers because it helps increase the understanding of how the body is structured. You know, often, as I said earlier, we think of anatomy as comprised of bones, muscles, and joints, and leave out the contribution of fascia. In fact, I didn't learn about fascia until I sought out learning about it and then pursued specific training on it. It's oftentimes not even discussed in 200-hour trainings. Learning MFR gives us a perfect opportunity to understand more about fascia. So when I say MFR, it's the use of tools on the body to relieve tension and pain in muscles and create better movement. It's all about inhibiting overactive tissue. So remember when I was just talking about injury to the body, and that's not just through trauma, that can be through cumulative uh, repetitive movements or sitting in a bad posture regularly. That's what we talk about, overactive tissues, because there's an injury cycle happening there because of some kind of problem in the posture or trauma to the body. Many people are already doing MFR. You may be one of them. You may be using a foam roller at the gym or a massage balls, MFR balls. You may be using massage balls, not even knowing that they're MFR balls and what that even stands for. And so for yoga teachers, we're often, if not always, limited to offering movement only when it might be helpful to offer different MFR techniques to students, even as something they do on their own. Because think about it. 
we would have to show up to teach class with a basket of balls of MFR balls of different sizes and foam rollers. And the practicality of that is super slim. I have done, um, since I did a week long training, uh, with Tiffany Cruikshank last, uh, August, so almost a year ago. So it hasn't even been a year and I've already done probably seven or eight workshops specifically on MFR as well as building it into my online course on anatomy. So I can certainly share from my own experience, learning more about it, learning more about the techniques, both through my training with Tiffany and my uh, NASM exercise training. It's really given me an additional skill and a really important thing to share with students to help them impact their bodies in positive ways. So now that we know a little more about what fascia is, what it's made of, and how the body responds to pressure applied to it through the tools, let's look at some of the techniques we can use. And this is where audio only is not great, but it's a good place to start. And then once you get my course and enroll in that program, which I definitely hope you do uh, in July, it's going to give you even more information because it's going to include the visuals. So we have a number of techniques. I'm only going to go over three here, but know that there are like six or seven different techniques. The most common technique is compression. And when you think about compression, it's pressure, compressing. So it's basically using body weight on a ball or a foam roller um, and holding the spot for 10 to 15 seconds. So when you're at the gym, I know when I'm at the gym and you see people ripping their body parts super fast on balls and foam rollers. No, 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 no. That is not correct technique. And it always amazes me that the gym I go to, many gyms out there have lots of trainers walking around and no one says anything to people. And then you have, you know, someone like myself who has this background and you know, I would love to say to people, hey, hey, but of course I never, ever would. I don't want to infringe and it's not my place. Um, but it's just an example of learn how learning this technique is going to help you in your own uh, self-care uh, to your body and give you really important skills that you can use for yourself. And that's always a great place to begin from um, when you are then going to help your students. So compression is, you know, it's important that for the nervous system response to occur, we use pressure in a way that we're, we're holding on a spot for at least 10 to 15 seconds. We don't want to be on bone. This is a technique to fascia. So it should be an area of the body where you feel the give of the tissue against the ball. Another technique, and this is more commonly done, is rolling, right? So we can roll in the direction of the muscle fibers. We can roll against the direction of the muscle fibers. Many people have never seen the muscles they're rolling. They don't know what muscles they're rolling. They have no idea what direction the fiber's going in. But I think in some parts of the body, like let's say the thigh, the front of the thigh, the back of the thigh, even if you didn't know what direction the fibers were going, you'd pretty much be able to assume you've got some fibers in the thigh that move up and down in the front. And those would be fibers of the quadriceps. And then you've got some fibers in the thigh that run up and down in the back. And those would be the fibers of the hamstrings. So right there, it's 
probably pretty common knowledge that you can roll with the grain up and down. You can roll against the a grain uh, across. So that's just an example there. And then there's another, a little bit more complex, not super complex technique called pin and stretch where you're pinning the ball or, or roller on a muscle and then you're moving the limb that is in that area. So let's say I were in a pigeon-like shape, a half pigeon-like pose shape, and I were to stick the ball under my thigh. And so I have ground, ball, thigh. That's kind of the sandwich. <laughs> and then I take that leg and I pull the heel into my butt and then I extend the leg down. So now I'm getting some movement of the quadriceps against the ball. So that's pin and stretch. So one of the reasons it may make sense to encourage your students to get into the regular routine of MFR, um, or maybe even doing it before class, is that they will feel the effects of this decreased muscle tone, possibly less pain, and hopefully better movement before they move into a yoga practice, which is, as you know, a yoga practice is a combination of both stretching and strengthening of muscles in a dynamic, right, a movement, or and or, or and, stable, isometric way. In fact, in exercise science, you know, meaning personal training in that industry, using MFR is the first step in working with a client before taking them into static stretching where, or even contracting muscles and then introducing dynamic movement is kind of the last piece. So there's a hierarchy of myofascial release first, static stretching second, contracting muscles through strengthening, and then dynamic movement. And that progression is how things are presented to clients in personal training. And we just don't have that progression in yoga uh, teaching. And so when you think about it, <laughs> it's really kind of amazing because you have people, let's take your evening classes. They've been sitting all day, maybe for years <laughs> at their desks in a certain way, or having a job where they do repetitive movements and then they come into class and you're taking a body that is not primed at all for movement and automatically flipping the switch to movement. So this starts to give you when you understand even a little bit about fascia and this cumulative injury cycle gives you some of an idea or a window into what can be happening underneath the skin when we cue people to do certain things and we don't see the results we want and we think, are they not listening? Or why are they doing that different thing? Why is their knee moving that way when I'm clearly asking them to center their knee? Well, maybe they can't. <laughs> maybe this is a muscle compensation that's happening because there is a restriction in the part of the body that they need to mobilize to get their body to match the cue they're hearing. And so this is why we always, always, always need to keep this stuff in mind when we teach and say it once, say it twice, then move on. Because we don't want to force people to move in a way that is just not accessible to them, that has an emotional component to it as well as a physical component, and neither of which are good. Hmm. So through ongoing study, um, you know, of all of this, you know, one of the things that I want you to be able to take away from listening to this episode is some ways that you can introduce these concepts into your teaching, um, even though you're not going to have the tools. Now, you may not feel ready, and if I were you, I probably wouldn't feel ready 
to do this just from listening to this podcast, which is again, why I really want to emphasize that this podcast is a window into understanding fascia and for the full scoop, my online course is going to give you all of the information with the videos and the one-on-one coaching and a whole bunch of other things as well. But this is a good place to start. And I think it's important for me to share with you ways that you can share some of this information with your classes, even though you're not going to be taking them through actual MFR, like you would be doing in a workshop or if you were working with someone privately uh, kind of scenario. So first thing is, Encourage students to feel for areas of restriction and poses and search for different ways to create stability that avoids moving into a painful position. So a great example of this is if you bring people towards the end of your class into half pigeon, certainly their bodies are more primed because that's coming towards the end of practice, but encourage them to feel where they feel resistance and to intuitively move in a way that removes that resistance. That might mean coming out of the pose and doing something completely different. It might mean shifting their weight right or left. It might mean using props. But this ability for us as teachers to support our students and encourage them to tap into the somatic sensations in the body is really important, especially for teachers like me and maybe you who focus on anatomy and sometimes can get caught in the weeds of the biomechanics and avoid, not intentionally of course, encouraging students to tap into that intuitive sense, that sensory experience. And I always try to many times throughout my classes, invite people to do that so it is a more balanced experience for them than just focusing on the anatomy. You can also encourage your students to move in a way that's more middle of the road rather than looking to move to their end range in every pose. And this is an important way to help them build healthy stability in their postures. Let's just take a straddle leg position where you're doing something else with the upper body. If people go too, too far, they're gonna sit in their joints, they're gonna take the muscles of the inner thigh to their fullest range. And this is oftentimes not a great way for them to build long-term health in the body. Um, In the absence of being able to use MFR tools in class, look for ways to introduce static stretching before more integrated dynamic sequencing. So for instance, maybe having students do a basic lunge with the knee down to start, you know, using blocks before you move them into more active stretches like warrior one. And this can warm up the muscle tissue and prepare the body for what's to come in a more dynamic way. And then in more dynamic parts of the sequence where the pace and the switching between poses may be more involved, help people recognize the fluidity of the movements as a way to acknowledge the collaboration of all parts of the body's structure, bones, joints, muscle, and fascia. And sometimes I even say uh, the word fascia and I give a little blurb about what it is, knowing that most people really don't know what fascia is and using that as a way to just slow drip a little bit of information in there. So through ongoing study of the body in areas of exercise science, it has become clear that there are certain muscles that are prone to being fairly tight and muscles that are prone to being weak. And I talked about that earlier. So I want to just give you a couple of examples of what this might look like. So if you look at the calf muscle, the gastrocnemius, if you have a student with a tight calf muscle, they may appear 
as having a sway back. So if you bring them into something like crescent lunge and they've got tight calf muscles, they may stick their belly out and arch their low spine a lot. And that just over time, it's become clear in the study of human movement that tight gastrocnemius oftentimes results in that sway back. Another thing that I see a lot in my classes is tight lats, latissimus dorsi. And this is the big broad muscle that runs from the lower part of the back um, all the way up to the humerus is where it inserts. And it's that big kind of fan-shaped muscle. And when that is tight, that also uh, can show up as a sway back. Because if you think about, it's literally running from... Um, that lower part of the back area up to the humerus. So as people reach their arms up, if there's tightness there, something's going to give. And oftentimes they'll stick their butt out and they'll kind of have that sway back, also called a lordotic spine. And then the last one is something also really common in yoga practice, and that is the serratus anterior, which connects the uh, ribs to the medial scapula and is so important in stabilizing the shoulder blades to the back, that has been known to be, uh, in many, many people, really weak. And so this is a problem because we're doing a lot of things where we're weight-bearing on the arms and we need to have strong shoulder stabilizers. So if people are, in general, experiencing weak serratus anterior muscles and they come to our yoga classes and we ask them to do plank and move from plank to low plank, it's going to be really hard for them to keep the shoulders steady and they'll tend to float off the back, also known as winging of the scapula. And all of this data comes from the NASM Essentials of Corrective Exercise Training, their 2018, so their most recent guide. So again, just going back to what I was saying before, when we understand muscles that are commonly weakened or overly shortened in our students, that can help us provide appropriate poses for students that will either strengthen or lengthen muscles. So in that example of serratus that I just gave, sometimes I do serratus push-ups. So it's basically like cat-cow, but you have the knees up and it's a much more moderate cat-cow movement. It's not a lot. And that's a great way to strengthen uh, the serratus. So I want you to remember that all of this is included in a free download. So you do not have to worry about keeping all this straight. Just grab the download by visiting my website link um, for the podcast. Go to this episode and it's right in there. So we've reached the end of the podcast today. And I want to thank you again for your attention and for listening. So a few things before we wrap up, once again, to get the download that lists all this out in a guide, visit the website, barebonejoga.com, go to the podcast page. This episode 27 has the link. And I'll also post it on my Facebook page and in my anatomy work group. And I want to hear from you. So wherever you are listening, on whatever platform, leave a comment. Uh, you can also just send me an email to karen at barebonejoga.com. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of the day wherever you are. And I'll be seeing you soon on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thanks for listening. <music>